in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the Tech Today podcast powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Maeta. I'm not sure what to call this episode. We're going to catch up on a couple of items, some technology IPO related. And why don't we start there? We work. We work. I just don't get. And I know there's a market demand for short term office space, particularly when you think about startup companies like ours at CEO Raider. And when you think about the whole host of uh, software companies, it's, it's easier than ever to start a a software company as the cost of computing comes down, as the cost of storage comes down. It's so easy to quickly get up and running on top of AWS or Microsoft Azure. But WeWork feels a little bit to me like the outsourced product development, the OPD, I don't want to call it a trend. There was a little bit of hype around outsourced product development back in, let's say, 2005, 6, 7, right until the financial downturn in 2008, where a number of companies popped up. I met with a handful of them in, in the Valley. And these companies, their deal was, their pitch was, hey, we're going to go to market and provide outsourced product development services for startup companies who can't afford to have a staff of product developers, engineers, product designers, don't want to carry all those costs on the books and the associated uh, benefits and so forth. And so we'll provide those services on an outsourced basis. Problem was, when the downturn hit, the startup community got, got crushed. Funding stopped. So not just for you know, the initial rounds, seed rounds and A rounds, but, you know, companies maybe that had had an A round and needed to raise the next round to grow, all that stopped. That stopped in, in 2008. It's kind of non-existent in 2009. Funding started to happen a little bit again in 2010. So these OPD companies who had built a business around serving the startup community, this, the startups went away. And that reminds me of WeWork, where they're leasing short-term space to, for the most part, startup companies. So I just don't get the math. Because WeWork is not matching durations of their leases. So WeWork is, is leasing space long-term from property owners and then subletting space short-term. So ideally, if you're going to lease space for five years, you're going to offset that space by subletting five-year leases. So you're matching durations. So when the lease of your customers comes up, your lease is also up. So it's obviously important to, to match lease durations because if you're the lessee, if you're WeWork, and you've got a bunch of five-year leases in the books, and you're in turn subletting space month to month or whatever the case may be. And now let's say, for example, the commercial real estate market rolls over, and now your customers, you know, in that downturn, their business may suffer. So their business suffers. They can no longer afford any leases because they're going out of business. So they can't make the lease payments they owe you, and you, we work. You have an obligation to pay, pay off your long-term leases. So you've got money going out, but nothing coming in if you're we work in a downturn. And depending on how severe, it could be an existential risk if you're WeWork, which is why I suspect these guys want to go out. I know they have a mountain of debt, but if the commercial real estate market starts to roll and there's already signs that pricing is basically flat, which means the next move is more than likely pricing starts to, to, to soften a little bit as demand softens. We're, we're, we're due for a slowdown in commercial real estate. It's not to say it's going to roll over like it did in 2008, but we're, we're due for a slowdown. Now, I'm sure the venture guys are thinking the same way and they try to punch out this WeWork deal before the CRE market softens. So you have a bad business model where lease durations don't match. Slack, it's another one, up 50% yesterday. One of probably 30-ish collaboration companies in the market. The ones that folks are aware of or that most people are aware of are Microsoft SharePoint. Microsoft has some collaboration features in, in the Office suite. And then you have Jira 
with Atlassian, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I can never remember how to pronounce those guys. Their company name, ticker symbol Team, out of Australia. So I think they're right around 30 billion market cap. Not a hugely differentiated space collaboration. I think what, what Slack has got right and why they're why they're enjoying 50 plus percent year on year growth is the design. You know, it's quite intuitive. They've built APIs into into everything. By everything, I mean you know various. Uh, communication services and they roll that all up under slack's layer which sits on top and i like the 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 idea of replacing let's call it one-to-one linear communication i.e email one-to-one one-to-many with the collaboration service where it's 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 many-to-many communication it's more efficient more efficient than looking at email strings and email chains but again they're not the only kid on the block and where the guys over at team with, with jira where that's kind of more developer focused I'm sure they're bleeding into Slack space and will continue to push into the broader user market outside of outside of software developers as they pursue growth. And I'm sure Slack will do something similar over time where they maybe where they may build functional specificity into the communication channel if they haven't already done that. But it's not terribly difficult or expensive to build these API connections. It's tedious work. You have to get the provisioning correct, you have to get the security correct. And make sure that people don't have visibility into data flows that they shouldn't have and that they do have access to, to what they should. You need to maintain those connections, keep them secure, keep them efficient. But the more difficult part of, of the business is, as you add features and functionality, keeping the product lean, keeping the product uh, intuitive, making sure friction is at a minimum. The user experience is the primary concern if you're Slack or any one of these collaboration companies so the the design element the customer interface that's what's key the piece that people see the piece that people interact with that's really where the ip sits as far as i could see because bundling apis isn't terribly difficult if i'm slack i'm concerned with microsoft they, they seem to be pulling resources i was i'm spending a little bit of time on i've probably wrapped up at this point but i'm spending some time on microsoft's machine teaching initiative which is to find more efficient ways to teach machine learning models without having to rely solely on on data labels and to be able to leverage the, the knowledge inherent within the user, the business user, to actually teach the machine. And you've got some of their, their best people from a data standpoint, an AI machine learning neural network standpoint, deep learning standpoint in that group. And I know they're pulling from that group into Microsoft Office. And if you use Microsoft Office, if you're like I do, where it's basically a heavy user of Excel in PowerPoint, Microsoft has started to build some AI capability in there where they've automated some uh, design features in PowerPoint as far as the visualization of the slide presentation. Much of that is automated, and I'm sure they'll continue to do design work there. And then on the Excel side, I think it's still in beta. I was playing with it a few weeks ago. Microsoft is using some new technology to capture, computer vision technology to to capture uh alphanumeric so let me give you a real world example if you've got a a let's say <clears throat> let's say you're looking at a, a series of numbers and you want to import them to microsoft excel well this new technology you can snap a photo of the numbers with uh, with your phone and import them into excel as opposed to having to retype the the letters and numbers what i found was that more often than not well in no instance did it work on the first try and by work i mean where the characters and numbers were imported flawlessly. In every instance, there had to be some element of human intervention to kind of fix how Excel read the photograph, how it imported the photograph. It was a little, it was a little messy. 
And I think I did it half a dozen times. And I remember one instance, it was, it was quite clean. I only had to fix a few characters. And the other four or five instances, it was very messy. It just wasn't worth. It would have been quicker for me to just type the series of numbers into Excel manually as opposed to spending time with the imported, the imported alphanumeric set. So they've got a lot of work to do on that. But Microsoft has a lot of resources. They'll get it right. So they'll ultimately get it to a point where you can just snap a photo of a table, uh, an alphanumeric table, a graph, on your laptop, as an example, maybe you're, you know, you're reading a magazine online and it's got a, a table or a chart in there that you want to import to Excel, you'll be able to snap it, boom, and it will work on the first time. And maybe you'll have to fix 1% or 2% of what was imported, a couple characters here and there, and you're done. That will be a reality. My point being that if you're able to do that, Microsoft, if you're able to, to eventually get Excel to that point, and I like what they've done with PowerPoint already, you're going to be able to fix the elements of design that make SharePoint a bit clunky as compared to Slack. And they've already started that process. They have a common design philosophy now across Microsoft, and that'll continue. But I, I, I think that as some of these new features and functionality are introduced to Excel, PowerPoint, and the Office Suite in general, I think you have more, time, more, more people spending time in these products, using these products in new ways, ways that may have been uh, too cumbersome prior to some of this new automation that's coming down the pipeline. And so there are going to be some new use cases, particularly in the, in the example of Excel. There's going to be some new use cases. And I think as these new use cases are introduced, it's going to pull both new users into Excel and give existing users more reason to spend time in Excel. And frankly, hopefully Microsoft has done the math on Slack with, res with respect to an M&A opportunity. There's clearly a market. I don't recall how many million subscribers Slack has off the top of my head, but there's clearly a market. And if you're Microsoft and you feel, hey, those design elements that Slack has that, that, that we don't, that slick user interface and some of the APIs that, we've, that they've built in that we haven't, if we're not going to get around to that for another half a dozen years, maybe you go write a check. Maybe not today at this price, but if they miss a quarter, miss a quarter or two or if there's a little bloodletting in Slack and Jira go after each other, maybe you pick one of them off. If you feel like, hey, we can replicate that experience for far less money and do it better, and in the process, take users. In other words, if you believe you can kill Slack and that it won't be hugely expensive to do so and that it won't take a decade to do so, then you don't acquire the company. So hopefully somebody's done that math at Microsoft. I'm not going to talk about Facebook crypto. We'll dedicate a podcast at some point. That gets into the currency itself. It gets into privacy. It gets into a whole bunch of things. And I think maybe that when we get around to doing that, we'll put out a more comprehensive piece at Tech Today. And then the last piece was Amazon, Amazon drones. The delivery drones, they've applied for the right to provide a surveillance service as delivered by the drones, where they would survey your property and you know, pump it into Amazon Cloud and make it available to you. So if you have a summer home in one part of the country, you live somewhere else, and you want to keep surveillance on that, that remote property, you'll be able to do so by subscribing to the service, Surveillance as a Service, offered by Amazon. And I know that there are other companies that were kind of looking at this opportunity. This, this is the advantage of scale. Because when Amazon decides to do something, they move markets. doesn't matter if they're first to do it. But when you've built out an infrastructure the way Amazon has... I think of any company, any of the, of any of the large companies, when you think about it, Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Walmart, which is, you know, they're in a race to build out their e-commerce channel. 
to build an omni-channel, as they call it. And Amazon, as you know, has been sort of simultaneously building out there. Let's call it electronic infrastructure, whether it be for e-commerce or services like key or services like what I'm describing now with surveillance, as well as the physical distribution. Amazon's the only company I could think of that has the physical and electronic capability. Sound like I'm 80 years old when I use the word electronic. But they've got the online and the offline world at scale. And it's just giving them the ability to move markets, whether it be healthcare services, prescription medication, grocery, online content, smart home services. And we wrote an article recently at Tech Today called Big Bubbles Get Bigger. If you haven't read it, I'd recommend it. But we're, we, we sort of focused the conversation on cloud. But you could apply that principle to other spaces in the economy. And within tech, it increasingly feels like the big bubbles that are going to get bigger are Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. I'm not so sure about Apple. I'm not so sure about Facebook. It's months away, but we're going to be speaking at the SSNC Deliver Conference in September, on September 17th. Another panel around intelligent automation, AI, machine learning, deep learning, this sort of thing. This time to the asset management community as opposed to the insurance community. So more on that sort of after the summer as we ramp things up. See you all next time.